0: Right, folks, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're looking at verses 19 through 29, and we're going to talk about a question today that Paul raises. It comes out of his discussion. Remember, we're, we're in that fourth section now of Romans, and it's kind of like a sidebar. Paul wants us to get a bigger picture of what's going on. And so he, last week, he, as we looked at it, he was telling us about the reality that God is sovereign. He is the one who is in control, and he shows mercy to whom he will show mercy, and he hardens the hearts of those whom he hardens. Now, as you consider God's sovereignty and the fact that he's in control and nothing happens without him, that, that's going to raise some questions and, in and, and fact, that's what I've entitled uh, the, the lesson today is, Who's Responsible Then? Yeah. Because that really is the question that comes out of it. I mean, if God's in control, He hardens people's hearts, and they end up going to hell, and He shows mercy to those whom He shows mercy, and, and they experience eternal life, then who's responsible? Why, why are people responsible if things are determined? If, if God has determined everything... Why should we even bother? You wrestle with that sometimes when you wrestle with the reality of God's sovereignty and God's working in people's lives? I mean, it gets back to the whole question of us wrestling with God. So let me just stop for a moment. The fact that we're addressing this, the Bible does answer our deeper questions, okay? It answers our deeper questions that we have. Because sometimes when people raise questions like that, I've been in churches where people will say, oh, you know, just, 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 it'll be okay, just believe. Like that's going to be the the answer to all things. Just, just believe. No, no, Paul raises the question because he anticipates that people are going to struggle with this. And we do struggle, right? We do struggle with, God, if you're in control, why am I going through this, right? Why has this happened? Why won't this person believe And so he raises questions, and he gives us some answers. Now, the the interesting thing with his answer is he doesn't necessarily answer you directly. He will always point you in a different direction. What do you mean? Well, let's look at it together. We're going to look at verses 19 through 29. Look with me, and notice here what... Paul writes you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will but who are you O man to answer back to God will what is molded say to the molder why have you made me like this has not the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the numbers of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had left us, not left us offspring, we would be like Sodom and we would become like Gomorrah. All right, so what's going on here? Well, we're going to basically look at this passage and we're going to look, first of all, at the question. It's a question we have. Like, why did you make me the way you made me? If you're in control, how can anybody resist that? I don't understand the way things are. So he's he's dealing with some very existential questions that we wrestle with. And we've got to come to some sort of conclusion. And then what we're going to see is when we get to verses 20 to 21, we're going to see God's prerogative. We're going to see God's prerogative, and then we're going to see his patient choice. What do you mean his prerogative? Well, he's God. You ever, ever done that? Why are you doing it that way? Because I'm dad. And as dad, I can do what I want, right? Isn't that what we sometimes say? You know, but that doesn't get far sometimes, right? Especially as they get older. But God's a little bit different because he's God. Who else is better bigger and better than God? We're going to see that as we go along. So let's look at the question together, first of all. All right, so the first thing I want you to notice is, here's the question he's wrestling with. If God is in control, how can anyone, how can he hold anyone accountable? That's a logical question, isn't it? He just told us that he shows mercy to whom he wants to show mercy. He hardens the hearts of those who are to be hardened. Well, if that's true, then why judge sin? Because if it's a sinner, they're just going to what? Sin, right? And if it's a believer, he's just going to receive mercy. So why hold anybody accountable? It's a logical question. And you have to admit, it's a question that you and I sometimes wrestle with. We try to understand. And so why why is that? Well, here's my second point. This thought arises out of our tendency to lower God to our level and shift the blame. We want to lower God to our level. We want God to be like us. But the problem is, is that we forget that God is not like us. He is in no way like us. You and I are sinful. We have sinful tendencies. We make sinful decisions. We have sinful reactions. We want to sin and we do sin, right? But God, there is no sin. He he didn't create sin. There's no sin in him. He causes no one to sin. James makes that very clear in the first chapter. Let no one say he is tempted by God. God doesn't tempt anyone. He's not like us. Now, why do we want God to be like us? Because we want to shift the blame. Now, have you noticed that we have that tendency? Why did you do that? Well, I did that because. We always used to be word because, don't we? I did that because somebody else did something. It's somebody else's fault. Have you you noticed that we're not in a culture where nobody assumes responsibility? It's always somebody else's fault. Have you noticed that? It was my scoutmaster's fault. It was my daddy's fault. He beat me too many times. It was was my mama's fault. She made me eat those vegetables when I was young. Had me sit at the table watching them grow mold on them until I decided to eat them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we we blame somebody else. And, And what happens is we want to lower God to our level and we're going to say, okay, wait a minute now. Hey, God, you choose your sovereign, so... You're the reason why all these people are doing, you're the reason why I do wrong things. We want to shift the blame. And so we want to shift the blame on him. So we want to get irritated with him, right? This is the reality. You're not answering me, you're not doing what I want. So Paul, Paul's going to respond to that. In fact, I find it's interesting. When I was reading this, and as I was studying this, and I see Paul's answer here, as if he's answering for the Lord, I realized that there are several places in the Bible where God gives the same type of answer. What do you mean? Go all the way back to the Exodus, Moses at the burning bush. Mo- Moses is being called by the Lord to go set his people free, but, but Moses is giving a whole lot of excuses. Lord, I, I can't speak. I can't do this. You're somebody else. Well, and, and finally, God says, I'm sending you, and I'm the one who created the tongue. Who are you? You go over to Job again. Job's complaining, why is this happening to me? I haven't done anything wrong. And he didn't do anything wrong. We know that reading the scripture, he didn't do anything wrong. Why is God doing this to me? It's unfair. And God says, who are you? To answer me. To question me. Were you there when I created the world? When I measured out the seas in my hands? When I designed everything? So God gives that, kind of, like, okay, remember something, folks. He's like, Get a grip. Realize something. Why? Because there's a prerogative here. It's God's prerogative. And this is what we're going to see in verses 20 to 21. So here's what Paul says. Look with me. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Here's what I want you to see here. Instead of answering the question, you are reminded that God is not like you. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that. I know we live in an age right now where there is this concept of, and, and it's correct that Jesus is my friend, so therefore God is my friend. And, and, but I, I'm going to be honest with you, he is a friend. But he's not your Bubba. Do, do you know, what do you mean by that, George? Well, you know, you know a, a Bubba, like when I grew up, a Bubba was somebody I would go fishing with. Did you understand what I'm saying? A Bubba was somebody I would hang out with on Friday night. Do you know what I'm saying? I would go to the mall with and cruise the mall with. Do you know what I'm saying? Back when we had malls and you cruise somewhere. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that, that was a bubba. You're, you're, he would do anything and, and and he was just as quirky as you were. I'm telling you, God's not your Bubba. Okay? He, he's not. He's, he's not just your friend who accepts everything, because that's not true. He doesn't accept everything. There's things that God is very displeased with me about in my life. I can almost guarantee you he's displeased with you about things in your life. And being God, what does he want? He wants you to change. And he is your Lord. He is the creator. He has not changed in who he is, and, and, and his sovereignty and who he is in light of the world. And not just that, he saved you. Without him, you would be nothing. So when it comes to this question of trying to understand how God works, and here we are, we're wrestling, well, you know, then what's to use? How can anybody resist your will? God says to Paul, Paul says, who are you to ask those kind of questions? And I realized that, you know what? He doesn't answer them all the time, does he? I hear people all the time, they'll be like, oh, I can't wait to get to the Lord. I got lots of questions. Well, uh, that's good. Um, He may answer some of them and you may have an understanding when you go to be with him. But I think there's going to be a lot of things that we're not going to get answers for. But I'll be honest with you, it's really not going to matter. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because when we see who he is and all of his glory, My trivial question will be meaningless. I will just be thankful that I am there. Did you understand what I'm saying? That he showed grace and mercy to me. And that's the point he wants to make here. It's like he wants to remind you that God is not like you. And so here's the thing. Can the one who is being formed question the God who's forming you? That's what Paul's asking It's like, can I ask you a question? Who, who's in charge of your life? Anybody? Who's in charge of your life? God. Bruce says God. Everybody agree with Bruce? Well, I think so. Yeah, I agree with Bruce. Okay. Maybe you're saying, me. I'm in charge. Really, how's that working out? Because the fact of the matter is, is somebody is in charge of my life. Now, could I come up with a better plan for George? I think I can. I act like I can. But people around you will tell you that a lot of times the things that I decide for myself end up going wrong. Because I'm not in charge, nor should I be, and I'm glad I'm not. Who's in charge of forming you, of molding you, of developing who you are in your character? Who is it? God. And so Paul's saying, does the one who is being formed, is the one who's that lump of clay that is being does the clay answer back to the potter? No. It is God who is the one who's molding us. See, he's trying to get you to understand. As you're trying to wrestle with and you're like, who's responsible? He's like, no, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong outlook. What you need to understand is, is I have a prerogative. God says, I'm the one who's in control. I'm the one who's molding you. I'm the one who's guiding your life here. And let me explain who I am. I'm a patient one and I make patient choices. What do you mean? Well, that's where we're going to look at the rest of our time here. God's patient choice. Look with me. Verse 22. First thing he does is this. I think this is amazing. So why doesn't he just, I've heard this one, it's kind of an, 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 an additional question from the first one. Well, if he's so sick of sin, why doesn't he just eliminate it? Why does he allow it to happen? Look at what he says here, verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath prepared? destruction what's he talking about here well here's the first one god chooses to put up with the sins of an unbelieving world that's his whole point here he chooses to put up with the sins of an unbelieving world hey can i ask you something do you get really sick of watching the news and what i mean by getting sick of watching the news you're just kind of sick of one report after another telling you how terrible things are and you're like, man, why doesn't he just deal with this? Have you ever had that thought? I think that way. Why doesn't he just deal with this? Why has it got to go there? Okay? Paul says to you, he puts up with it. Why? Why does he do that? Peter tells us why. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 he says this the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise concerning as some count slowness now what's he talking about to fulfill his promise well the promise of christ's return he's not being slow what is it but is patient towards you he's showing patience why not willing that any should perish but that all should what reach repentance God's being patient with sin because he wants people to what? Come to him. Isn't that interesting? So the first thing we see about God's patient choices is that he's patient with us. Here's the other thing. He chose to show great mercy to those who believe. He's chosen to show great mercy to us. Look with me at verse 23. Here's what he says. And in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. He's being patient. He's putting up because ultimately, yes, he's going to show his judgment on the world, and that is coming. But he's being patient so that people can come to him. But for those who come to him... His patience is, and and you be patient because he's going to show you great things and there are going to be great things bestowed on you which he says were prepared before the foundation of the world. Do you realize God was preparing for you to come to him? And he was preparing some kind of an inheritance to give you? That's awesome, isn't it? Because he is the one who's in charge and he wants to bless you The problem is, is we want blessed right now. And that's okay. But the ultimate blessing is to come when he will show all blessing to you. Here's another one. I want you to look with me. Verse 24 through 26. Look at what he says here. Even us who he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. In this very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now here's the other one. Thing. God chose to show mercy to those who would become his people. Who's he talking about here? You and I. Because who was his promise originally to? What people did he choose out of all the peoples of the world and say, you are mine. And to you I will give these promises. What people was that? Anybody know? The Jews, Right? Now, with that promise being given to them, what was the promise for everybody else? Anybody know? If you weren't a Jew and you weren't included in that promise, what were we getting? Yeah, judgment. Damnation for our sin. Now you say, for our sin, what do you mean? Well, remember now. He's already showed us in chapters one through three that the whole world is condemned because of what? We choose sin. We do not seek after God, for the wages of sin is death. Do you realize that? God doesn't choose anybody to go to hell. That decision has already been made because we do one thing, folks. We do it consistently. You do it every day, whether you realize it or not. What is it? Breathe. No, besides breathing. Sin. But in his grace, he shows mercy. He showed mercy to calling the Jews. But here's that. Not only he's telling us, but he's calling a people who are not his people. Who are not his people? Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Look around. We are. And he says, through Hosea... Those who were not beloved, I will call what? Beloved. That's a term of intimacy. He isn't just taking you along like some some stepchild or something. He's taking you along and saying, You are my child now, you are beloved. God is doing that in his mercy, and his grace, and his sovereignty. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He's opened it to you and I. Now that's the problem that's going on today, because. The folks who originally got the promise don't like that, right? We see that in Acts, right? They're not happy when the Gentiles hear the gospel. So so the reality is, is God's patient choice. We see here he's chosen to show mercy to those who would become his people. But then here's the reality. Then why doesn't everybody come? Because everybody can't come. They won't come. They're choosing their own path. They're judged. But here's what he's doing for himself. He says this through Isaiah. God has chosen to preserve a remnant for himself. So out of all humanity that has rejected him and is doing his own thing, even among the Jews, even all of those Jews, he says there's out of those Jews, there's a remnant. There are those who what? Who believe. Who are his special ones. And that's you and I. We're part of that. Now, okay, so George, where do we go with this? Well, let's go back to what the original question is. Because we struggle. I struggle. You struggle. It's natural. We, we want to make sense of the world we live in. And so we're kind of trying to make sense of people around us who, who are not making decisions or wanting to follow Jesus. And so we, we get frustrated because we know that he's in control. He shows mercy to whom he wants to show mercy. He hardens those whom he wants to harden. But remember, in the Scripture, we're already told earlier that those whom he hardened, those who gave over, is because they chose to what? Reject him and chase after their own desires, Right? So he's showing mercy and illuminating our hearts and our minds to the point where we say we want Christ. Our eyes are open because the God of this world has blinded everyone. And so even though we wrestle with that, and we wrestle with, how's that possible? He's telling us, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look to me. Because he doesn't answer the question, does he? Because sometimes the question isn't the issue. The issue is faith. And are you going to trust him? Do you know what I'm saying? Are you going to trust him? I I think back. I, I think back to an incident. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Okay? So, in 1999, we had decided the Lord wanted us to leave our first church in Angus, Ontario, in Canada. And uh, we made a decision about when we were going to leave. So, I was going to resign. And uh, we talked to a realtor quietly about putting our house on the market. So, uh I remember it was the most terrible thing I've ever done is to go to a church and tell them I'm leaving, I'm resigning, okay. And, and so we did that and that evening our house went on the market, okay. The realtor put the sign out right after the service, okay. Well that evening I got a phone call from the realtor and I told them that I wanted this price. I had a price and I told them we would sell for this. So it's not even, not even, it's not even 12 hours, okay and we get a call from the realtor and they said oh you know so and so wants to there's this person they they really like the house they want to buy it but they want to offer you this and it was lower than the price that i wanted that we said that we needed to have to leave there and uh so i said to them Lori's listening on the other end we had two phones this is back when there were no cell phones you had two lines. So she's listening to me talking to the realtor upstairs in the kitchen. I'm downstairs in my office because my office was at home. And uh, I said, nah, we'll we'll wait. It's too early yet. So I hung up the phone. Lori, because we got to move back because what am I going to do if I don't have a job? I got to move back to PA. So she's thinking, we got to sell this house. Do you know what I'm saying? And George, you're not thinking. And uh, you know, it's only a a little bit lower than what you wanted. And I said, no, no, I, I think that we need to do this. And so uh, she reluctantly went along. But then an hour phone call came back and the guy said, they'll give you your price. So we had the house sold within 12 hours of resigning. Do you think God wanted me out of there? Yeah. Yeah, He did. Now why do I bring that up? It's kinda like this discussion about God. It's an issue of faith. We're trying to figure life out. We're trying to figure out what's going on with people and why they're making the decisions. And so we hear these, these truths about God, that he's the one who's in control, and he hardens hearts, and he blesses, and he's sovereign. And so we ask, well, why are... Well, like the guy here in this passage that Paul's referring to. So why... Why are you holding people accountable if they don't have any choice? They're not going to buck your will. You're in control, God. Paul comes along and says, no, 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 you're looking at it wrong. Look to the one who is in control. He's not like you. Put your trust in the God who's in control. Have faith. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it makes sense, right? Isn't that interesting? When you go to Corinthians, the foolishness of God is greater than all of the wisdom of men. If God can be foolish, his foolishness is greater than my wisdom? It's an issue of faith. See, part of the bigger picture that you and I have to get is we're not going to be able to answer everything, but we need to trust in who? God, who patiently puts up with the world the way it is because he wants people to come to him, who has chosen before the foundation of the world to bless you with beyond all blessing because you've chosen to follow him. And he's chosen you, Gentiles, who weren't even a part of the promise. So put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Not a blind faith, but a trusting faith that he's the one who's in control. That's what he's calling us to. Let me pray for you.